the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Cool. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Gemma, and I am a member here at Belmont, um, and it is my pleasure to be continuing on our journey through the letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, in my last couple of sermons that I've had the pleasure of delivering to you guys um, in this service, I've spoken about two things. One of the things was I've spoken about the fact that we're not our own, um, and I've also spoken about the importance of accepting one another despite our differences and diversity. And tonight, we're going to bring those two things together um, as we explore the second half uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, last week, Adrian really, really helped us um, kind of explore the first part of chapter 12 as we began to think about spiritual gifts and how we use them. This evening, we're going to continue that conversation on a little more as we think about what the manifestation of those spiritual gifts that we were introduced last week looks like practically in a church that is full of broken and flawed people. And I say that because I think it's really important for us to remember this evening that um, that is what the church is. If, If you've been here over the last couple of months, you'll have heard us speak about the church in Corinth and how kind of messed up and broken the church that the congregation was, how caught up in culture and society it was, how lost and mistaken those who had professed a faith in Jesus Christ had become. And although Corinth, as we have seen and will continue to see, spoiler alert, um, had it pretty bad, the church today isn't necessarily that much better either, I don't think. See, contrary to maybe the belief outside of this building, the church is not filled with perfect and immaculate human beings. I personally can testify to this because I am not one and I'm here. Um, But actually it's filled, isn't it, with with broken and flawed people who often are are joined only by the fact that they're willing to accept the fact they're broken and flawed and accept the one who redeems and restores and renews us in that. Now that is a beautiful and a really wonderful thing that church is. Um, But as we explore the latter half of chapter 12 this evening... I want us to remember that that tendency to compare, to to be jealous, to elevate, to to put down, that's not just an issue that needs addressing in the church in Corinth. It's an issue that needs addressing in the church today. And like, if we're being honest, potentially in our church today too. Um, And so as we think about these verses that I imagine are pretty familiar to quite a few of you sat in here, I really, really love it if we could be a little bit self-reflective, if we can be a bit honest with ourselves before God, and if we can allow these kind of gentle nudges of uh, rebuke and correction from the Spirit to push us, as as Joss prayed, just towards Jesus a little bit more. So I'm going to pray for us, and um, then we're going to crack on. Let me pray really quickly. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the time spent together now. Lord, I just pray that... You open our hearts and our ears to hear from you. Help us to be really honest with you this evening, God. Um, And if there's areas that we need to reflect on, areas we need to think about, Lord, I just pray that each one of us in this room are really open to that. Amen. Thank you. Um, So we are looking at 
uh, 1 Corinthians 12, there we go, 30, 12 to 31 this evening. Uh, and it's a little bit of scripture, as I've just said, that probably most of you have heard before. Um, a bit of context uh, for us before we kind of get into the passage. Um, as we've looked, the, converse, the kind of situation in Corinth is, is a bit messy. Um, and Paul's letter to the church that, that we kind of, um, we see that he spent a lot of time in. This is not a church that Paul's heard about this is a church that Paul's been um, involved in um, is, is a firm and a fair response to actually concerns that he most likely heard from people within it um, about the behaviour that's been reported to them. We know, don't we, from, from what we've studied already, that the societal temptations of wealth and status and sex had infiltrated the church, and there was a lack of kind of difference of distinction of holiness, really, um, among uh, the church and this was resulting in in division it was resulting in, in infighting it was resulting in masses of disrespect among members and actually it was resulting in this horrible kind of reputation that the church was building um, in the surrounding area basically the, the church in Corinth they were people of God in, in name only that's kind of where we're at and Paul is writing to correct them to put them back on track so they can fulfill the purpose that God has for them as his people in the latter half of chapter 12 then, we see again that the church is kind of struggling to die to self. It's struggling to prefer one another. And that is what is causing this division, this hurt and this damage within the congregation. Um, we see that uh, these gifts that God has given the, the church to, to kind of uh, strengthen, and, strengthen them and build them up, build unity among them. That's what Adrian was talking to us last week about. Have instead become this source of, of division, of, of pride, and of belittlement. We see in verses 15 to 20 that, that some believers had been made to believe that, that their gifts were inferior to others, whilst some, as we read in verses 21 to 26, um, thought their gifts made them superior to others. <coughs> And so Paul steps in to explain to them once again the importance of humility, the importance of unity. He explains to them how each of them have something special to bring, but they bring it to and they bring it for the benefit of the whole, yeah, not the one. As we've already heard um, this evening when we read the passage, Paul uses the image of the human body to explain what he means in what Tom Wright calls one of Paul's most spectacular illustrations. He loves it. Um, Paul's, Paul writes this in verses 12 and 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, using the body as an analogy for kind of a community or a society is not a new thing at this time. It's not something Paul's made up. Um, it was common in, in Stoic thinking, uh, and we know from, from earlier parts of the letter that that's something that had influenced the church already. There's also this kind of really famous fable that's going around at this time from Manias of Agrippa, in which um, basically the other parts of the body get a bit jealous of the stomach because to them it looks like that all the stomach does is enjoy food. That's all the stomach does. And so the rest of the body decide they're going to starve the stomach. 
Uh, and what they find out is, is that as they start the stomach, the rest of the body starts to feel weaker and weaker and weaker. And the message behind this fable is that all of the members of the body need to work together for the common good. And they all do work together for the common good. What Paul does here, though, like so many other places in his ministry, is take that kind of idea, that, that story, that, that notion in society, and do something new with it, change it up a little bit. See, our bodies are actually excellent metaphors, because as Paul unpacks for us, uh, for the Corinthians as well, they express this, this unity in diversity like nothing else on earth. The body is one, Andrew writes in his Andrew Wilson writes in his commentary, not in spite of the fact that it has many parts with many different functions, but because of it. There is also this kind of additional layer for Paul, a Jewish man who is in love with God and in love with the scriptures because of what the human body, what human beings were designed to do. If we go back to Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Scripture tells us that we are made in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we are made to reflect something of God's likeness. And actually, I think that's something of the call for the church as well, to reflect something of God's likeness to the world around that. And and yet we can't do that if we are not united in our diversity. Because we reflect a God that is diverse and yet one. We reflect a God that is three persons and yet one God. And I think that's why Paul writes here, so it is with Christ, not so it is with the church. This message of unity is emphasised again in verse 13, with Paul informing the church of what it is that unites them. We were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. This is not a good turn of phrase, but we've kind of all been initiated in the same way, yeah? We've been initiated into the same thing. That's what unites us. Regardless of who you are, or where you're from, or what you do, or what you've done, this is an experience shared by all who have come to know Jesus as Lord. Likewise, we were all given one spirit to drink. We are all joined together in the same way, like this kind of invisible thread that connects us all, because what lives in me lives in you. That's how we're connected. I don't know how many of you kind of heard Paul speak last week in the morning, um, but he spoke, didn't he, about how the future kingdom will be made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation, together as one. The church as a place that kind of sits in the now and not yetness of the kingdom of God has to reflect this. The reality is that although diversity makes life way more difficult, look, if you guys were all like me, this church would be amazing. That's what we think, isn't it? That's what we think. How easy would it be? We wouldn't fight. We'd just get on with it. It'd be great. But that wouldn't reflect God. And it wouldn't be that great, actually, in the grand scheme of things either. Diversity creates something spectacular, a greater and a fuller representation of God and of the future kingdom here on the earth right now. 
diversity, it isn't this kind of accidental attribute of church, but it's at its core. Um, as an example of this, I don't know how many of you have been to the Sagrada Familia. Um, I've been a couple of times, most recently um, in July with school. Um, it's an amazing place if you, if you ever get the chance to go. You definitely should go. It's, it's incredible. But, but in the church itself, there are these windows. And, and these windows have like these names on them. Um, and they're kind of dotted around the whole place. And, and I didn't know what the names were. So I went and, and asked someone um, who had a little like Union Jack flag on. So I knew they spoke English. Um, and um, they told me that the names written in all the windows around the Sagrada Familia um, are, are saints from all around the world. And there's also this door um, as you kind of look to the back of, of the church. Um, and it has the Lord's Prayer written in Latin in, in the middle. But, but all around it, I don't know if you can see very well, all those lines, they're, they're the Lord's Prayer written in all different languages from, from across the world. Um, now, now those things are there in the Sagrada Familia because Gaudi got this. He got this. He understood the importance of manyness within the body of Christ. If, if you listen to the audio guide, um, right at the end of it, the, the lady who kind of talks you through the, the, the church says, remember that what you've seen today is the message of the Christian faith etched in stone, a universal temple where all are welcome. Now, we could argue theologically on that, but at the heart of the Christian faith, is an offer for all to, to come and, and join in with what God is doing, to be part of his people, his body here on earth. And there's only one body. That's what Paul says. There are many parts, but there is only one. And I guess my first challenge to you this evening is how comfortable are you with the idea of unity despite diversity? For the Corinthians, the, the struggle that they had within their church was ethnic. It, it was religious, it was status-based. They didn't want to be associated with Gentiles. They didn't want to be associated with slaves. For us today, though, I think those divisions, those divides look different. They might look ideologically, or they might look political. But, but for, for me, and for the Christian that sits on the other side of the argument to me, we've both been baptised in the same spirit. We've both been given the same spirit to drink. So why shouldn't I accept them, even if I can't agree with them fully? Why should I be fighting to not be associated with them if we are one body and we are made up of many parts? As I uh, was kind of prepping for this, there were two key verses in the, uh, in the chapter that, that kind of stood out to me. The, the first was verse 14. Um, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And the second was verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time kind of looking this evening. And I want to go to, to the verse 14 first. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. I shared earlier that, that there were those within the church um, in Corinth who felt like they were inferior because um, their contribution to the body, their gifting, they kind of saw as inferior to, to others. Um, and Paul takes the time in the next kind of chunk of verses to, to share why that's not the case um, at all. You can follow along in your Bibles if you like. We're reading from verse 15. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body... 
It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Paul's point is that the body can't just be one thing. It wouldn't, and it doesn't work like that. We need others, and others need us, because we all bring something different that together makes the whole kind of function as it should. There are things that I can do, okay, that that Rachel can't, all right? Likewise, there are things that Rachel can do that, that I can't. Paul's point is that both of those things are necessary, and therefore both of those things are needed, even if it doesn't feel like that to either one of us. Hands are great. I love hands. They're super useful. Some would say they were handy. Um, Thank you, everyone. But um, I I need other things other than hands for my body to work. Yeah? The usefulness of my hands doesn't undermine or belittle what my feet enable me to do in my day-to-day life. Yeah? My feet are still useful to me, even though my hands are useful to me too. There are lots of things that the church needs to work and sometimes it's easy to look at the sorts of things others are doing and think, well, if I can't do that, I can't be useful. That isn't the case. It's just not true. See, I think we have to be careful not to get swept up in this kind of game of comparison that that so often happens in our world. Um, In her book, Compared to Her, Sophie DeWitt calls calls kind of what society has as compulsive comparison syndrome. And I think it's something that often we find ourselves having inside church as well. Sophie writes that we often compare ourselves to others because we want to know that we are significant, because we want to be satisfied, or because we want to feel secure. Now, ultimately, All of those things are found in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's where they find their fulfilment. But I think Paul is kind of seeking to address those things in this passage here too. See, in verse 17, Paul makes it really clear that our contribution matters. It is needed. And so we know that we are significant in the body. In verses 15 and 16, Paul explains that each of our roles have a purpose. We don't have to long to be someone or something else. And so you can find satisfaction in our contribution to the life of the body. And in verse 18, we are told by Paul that we are placed exactly where God wants us to be. So we can find security in our place in the body. Whatever you have and whatever you bring is useful because God has placed you within the body just where he wants you to be. He has given you a gifting, something you can bring and has placed you here because that is needed in that place. And that's really, really important for us to understand. You might not stand at the front and talk. You might not help on the balcony on a Sunday morning. You might not lead a group or a ministry or even have a role or a specific area you serve in. 
But if there is something that you do that adds to the life of the church, that builds up the body, that comforts someone in need or encourages someone when they need it, then that is so unbelievably worthwhile. And that is most definitely needed in this place. Please, 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 please do not dismiss that or or wish it away. The body needs you and you need the body because you cannot do it alone either. A hand or an eye or an ear or a foot on its own does not make a body. The body is not made up of one part but of many. And if you are sat here today wishing that you were someone else or or trying to do it alone, can I really gently and firmly um, (laughs) encourage you to reconsider that? To think about what Paul is saying here and to join your one part to the many because it's definitely needed. Yeah? Secondly, then um, in, in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you uh, is a part of it. Now we've talked about those who thought they were inferior, but it will be no surprise to you. It'd be no surprise to you if you've been here over the last couple of months um, that there were also those inside the church that thought that their gifts made them superior to others within the body. And so in verses 21 to 27, Paul takes the time to explain to them that actually this isn't the case. From verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices in it. In verse 24, Paul reminds the Corinthians that God has put the body together and that each part is just as important as the other. Like earlier, Paul isolates parts of the body to illustrate the ridiculousness of what they were most likely saying to each other, pointing out that regardless of what gifting you might have, you need the rest of, your bo- of the body to make that gifting any good. Paul explains that the weaker, the less honourable parts of the body are given special dignity, special modesty, likely referring to to those in in the congregation who are having a particularly difficult time or or are struggling or perhaps come with uh, baggage that, that others outside the church may look down on them because of. Paul's clear that the role of the church in that place is to protect those members, not to look down on them, to unite with them, to come alongside them, not distance themselves from them or pretend like they're not known to them. Paul explains each of us now blended together, that's kind of the term that Paul uses um, in, in verse 24, has a responsibility towards each other, a care for one another, as we are connected in this special way. Tom Wright, in his commentary, puts it like this. Um, Just like the hand comes to bandage the injured foot, or the foot hurries the injured head to hospital, so we show concern for each other. We don't delight or distance ourselves in others' suffering, but we suffer with them. 
We do not belittle or envy others' honour, but we rejoice with them in it. Just over um, three years ago, I went to the doctors because something wasn't right. Okay, I was struggling to sleep, I was really anxious, I was hot all the time, um, I was having trouble with my eyes, just everything was going wrong with me. And um, I had a blood test and it turned out it was this. This is your thyroid gland, guys, and it's very important, um, as I learned. Um, see, I have this kind of condition, which means that my thyroid doesn't work properly. And because my thyroid wasn't working properly, because it was suffering, my whole body was suffering with it. Loads of different aspects of me was, wasn't working, just weren't working properly. Because this tiny little bit of my body that no one sees, that I didn't even know was there, I'm going to be completely honest with you until it went wrong, wasn't, go, wasn't right. That's what Paul is talking about here. We should be so connected as a body that if one person hurts, we all hurt. If one person suffers, we all suffer. If one person rejoices, we like BBC Points West during the Olympics, we, we claim that, we have that, we celebrate that, that, that glory with them. The, the sharing of pain or, or comfort in our bodies is automatic. It's an automatic physical kind of reaction. But it often is much slower. It, it takes a much longer time in our spiritual bodies. If, if we're being completely honest with ourselves right now, how often do we concern ourselves with the suffering of those in the body across the world? How easy is it for us to be envious of those who succeed in areas where we want to succeed ourselves? We, we have to remember that we are a body and each of us is part of it. And that means it's not about us in the singular, however much we might want it to be, but it's about us in the plural, yeah? How often do we make church, do we make body life about ourselves, about what we get from it, what we don't get from it? Being like completely honest with you this, uh, this evening, um, I am someone whose kind of default position is kind of selfishness. And I'm someone whose default position is jealousy. And um, kind of thinking about this this week has really hit me hard. It's really hit me hard. Um, it's really, really challenged me. And, and the way that my brain goes in the inside, maybe it doesn't come out outwardly, but, but what my heart does, what my head does um, inside. But it's something I've got to get. It's something I've got to... Pray for is something, if you could be praying for me, that'd be great too. Um, but it's something I've got to kind of get my head around. And if you're like me in that, something you've got to get to, because it impacts the way we do body life. It impacts the way we see this unity and diversity. Um, Paul ends this section of the letter pointing forward to what Andrew is going to be talking to us a little bit more about next week. There's this collection uh, of rhetorical questions that, that are all designed to be answered with one word. No. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. 
Are all miracles? Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. And do all interpret? No. Of course they don't, because that is not how it works. Paul tells them to eagerly desire these gifts. But I think that's with the caveat of all that he's already spoken to them about thus far. Desire them, I think he's saying, but as a body and for the body, not for yourselves. Because you are one part of many that make a whole. And as you do this, as you live your life as one body made up of many parts, you do so in a way that I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And I'm going to tell you all about it. But I am not going to tell you all about it, Andrew, this next week. So let me pray for us and I will hand back over uh, to Joss. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you um, for Paul. We thank you for for this letter and for all that it is teaching us together. Lord, as we think about that that idea of us being uh, one of many, um, we just just ask that you help us to get that this week. If we're sat here thinking that we are inferior, Lord, I pray that you you will show us how needed we are. If we are sat here thinking we are superior, I pray that you will show us how much we need others. Lord, if we need to be reminded that it is not all about us, Lord, I pray that you will humble us this week. If we need to be reminded to suffer with those suffering and rejoice with those who are being on it, then Lord, give us the the humility, give us the the ability to do that this week. Lord, thank you that, that even in our brokenness, even in our flawedness, you love us, And you want to work with us. And Lord, this evening, we're just saying we'd love to work with you. Thank you so, so much. Amen.